When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. For this episode, we are answering parents' questions, and the first one begins... Allison, I love your podcast and your recent workshop with Erica M. A few questions that I desperately like to have your guidance on. My 14-year-old daughter constantly lies to my husband and I. It's very difficult to trust her. And although she wants to earn our trust and give her, quotes, olive branches, end quote, to earn back, she lies again. For example, her boyfriend dropped off flowers, cookies, and a card at the front doorstep. She brought it into the house, but took the card out of the envelope unbeknownst to us. She said there was no card, just an empty envelope with her name on it. After much backing and forthing and lying denial, I found the card. My husband and I struggle to have her understand that being truthful and honest is the foundation to a relationship, our relationship as parent and daughter. So number one, how do we parent a teenager who lies and how do we learn to trust her again? Number two, how do you guide a young hormonal teenager to focus on her mental health school and avoid boyfriends for the time being? Her boyfriend, although a very nice boy, we've told her to avoid dating boyfriends in grade nine and focus on school and healthy friendships with girls. This boy is too intense and almost overwhelming and I'm worried. He texts me to ask if he and my daughter can hang out, etc. He texts me that he loves her and will take care of her for the rest of their lives. I don't know the best way to navigate this with our daughter. Uh, thank you very much for allowing me to send in the questions and I look forward to your guidance and tips signed a distressed mother. (laughs) So, um, there's a wonderful quote by Alfred Adler that says a lie would have no sense unless the truth were felt as dangerous. So when we're talking about lying, the behavior, 
again, in Adlerian psychology, we always go to the usefulness, the purpose of the behavior. And this is what Adler's getting at with this quote. Um, Why lie? Why lie? What's useful about that? Well, you're 14 and you tell your parents the truth and you show them the card from your boyfriend. What might happen? It could be a dangerous outcome. They could reinforce that they don't want you to see this boy. Uh, They could judge you. They could be critical of liking him back. It's dangerous. So why put yourself out there when you could say, oh, no, there was no card. There was no card. It's very much the same as the kid who, you know, uses the baseball bat and plays in the wrong area and breaks a window and says, I didn't break the window because they're worried about being punished. So that's how kids lie. And uh, so when you ask, well, how do we get them to be truthful? We need to make our parenting such that they aren't fearful of us. So that means being non-punitive. It means being unconditional in our love and positive regard for for them, um, to be that trustworthy person that they can reveal their um, inadequacies and their mistakes and their blundering in front of knowing that we're going to support them through it. So right now she's not feeling that she's feeling that you're going to somehow interrupt this relationship, which is what you've asked about here. And so I would say that much like friends, you can't pick your kids friends, they're going to be attracted to who they're attracted to. Um, that goes for whether that is a friendship or whether that is uh, a, a boyfriend, whether that's a dating relationship. And of course, you know, if you'll remember back to your first dates and infatuations when you first hit puberty, you know, there's a, a real romantic over the top because it's all new and it's all fresh, it's all idealized. And um, so usually those first boyfriends are just experimentations. And, uh, you know, these are these are big crushes. And um, it's sweet, you know, it, it's sweet and innocent. And so I don't think you can say don't have boyfriends. It's not really something for a parent to determine. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of where, she, where she's um, feeling herself socially. And it sounds like this boy, well, he's dropping off flowers and cookies and cards and he's asking permission from the mother, can I see him? So yeah, is he a little intense? Yeah, he's, he's a little intense, but you haven't told me anything that says that we need to worry about somebody who's crossing a boundary and becoming controlling or a stalker or any of those things. Uh, I think he's just highly infatuated and um, <laughs> trying to, to, to win her over. And so um, I think a better role would be for you to just help her, guide her, give advice on how to manage a relationship with this boy. And so, you know, if it's, um, if she has a test and she needs to say, I'm sorry, I'm not available tonight, let's get together on the weekend. And he gets all upset and miffed about that. Well, we can have that conversation. But if he's like, oh, I understand I'll you know, I'm, I'll wait. I understand you have other priorities. You need, you have school and your mental health and you need to see your family. I'll wait. I'll, I'll fit into your life appropriately. So that's the kind of coaching and uh, to make sure that if she's feeling like holding hands or kissing with this boy, that she's understanding about consent and listening to that quiet inner voice and whether she really feels ready or whether she's feeling pressured. And so um, I would defer to to saying, don't listen to the boyfriend, nor listen to, to your parents. You need to listen to yourself. Where are you at with all of that? What does your 
gut say about this person, about this relationship. And then they can come to you as parent, as sage counsel, as a sounding board. Um, and then they'll be more receptive to hearing what you might have to say rather than keeping secrets and lying because they have an idea of what you think and they have an idea of how you're going to stand in judgment of, of how she wants to go with things. Um, so if we want to trust kids, we need to, uh, if you want kids to be trustworthy or to regain trust, we have to start with, with giving them that trust. And uh, so even if she's screwed up in the past, really, it's a clean slate. You know, you can always try again differently tomorrow. If you don't trust your child, they have no reason to want to act in a trustworthy way because they've already been painted with a reputation or been painted as guilty. So there's no benefit to them. So I would just say, nope, we start again. Yes, I trust. I trust right now. And that kind of answers your second question about how do you have a young hormonal teenager focus on her mental health? Well, you don't. You just have her balance it, balance those things out. So it might not be the answer that you were looking for there, um, but uh, I think that's the best, the best way to go. Question number two. This came from my Facebook Live, and I ran out of time, so I said to people, if you are interested in having me answer your question, let me know in the chat. So I have an uh, podcast question. What are the signs of anxiety in children and how can we help our children manage their anxiety? Well, uh, just so you know that anxiety in and of itself is is normal. And what I mean by that is um, if you've seen the movie Inside Out by Pixar, I believe it's Pixar, um, it, uh, it's a wonderful animated movie that um, talks about uh, the emotional, the science of the emotions through the narrative of a little girl who has to move. And anyways, up in her brain, she's got the control panel and you see the five core emotions and one is joy and one is anxiety and one is anger. And so we all have anxiety. It is a biological imperative to have it, it keeps us safe. And so Everybody has anxiety. So it's really about whether or not we have more like an anxiety disorder. Uh, and there's 11 different types of anxiety disorders. And when we're looking at describing them, basically we're looking for a sort of symptomatology that clusters in around four areas. So you'll have like a physical response. will be like thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Um, and each of those will kind of describe what's happening for the child. So really, if we're going to start getting into is something just regular anxiety, like for example, I think we're all aware that around nine months of age or so, babies will start making strange. They have stranger anxiety. They realize you're not my mother. They've become alert enough to know you're not my attachment figure. And so I'm going to make strange with you. That anxiety is normal. And the same with when we start dropping our little toddlers off at, at daycare or with the nanny or uh, with the babysitter, you might get some separation anxiety. Those are normal anxieties that kids grow out of. So we're really only worried about anxiety when we start seeing it more frequently than is developmentally appropriate or more intensely than other kids their age. And uh, so this sort of prolonged, intense nature that disrupts functioning, and that's an important quality. So this is a persistent, too much, and, and now interfering with functioning, which for kids is often about going to school. Um, some of the things that you'll see from a physical point of view with kids with anxiety is they um, they hold it in their tummy. Uh, GPs will tell you that the number one reason for kids to come in to see a doctor is because they've got tummy aches. 
and they almost never, ever find a, um, an actual stomach issue. It's um, usually a psychosomatic holding of, of stress, quite like, quite honestly, we not to say that they're, the kids aren't faking it, but it means that it's, it's not coming from a bacteria. It's not coming from a virus. It's not coming from ulcerations. It's coming because literally we're holding stress in our gut. Um, and the same with headaches. You're also going to see disruptions in some of the other biologies like sleep, whether it's falling asleep or their sleep gets disturbed and they're up in the night or nightmares. Um, The same with appetite. They could eat more, they could eat less, but they're sort of off of baseline. You also are going to see like crying and tantrums and screaming or lashing out or bolting away when they're confronted with um, whatever they're anxious about. They'll pretty much do anything to protect themselves. I remember when my daughter... Um, was having her first panic attacks. And uh, we had gone to, it was actually Halloween. (laughs) And uh, the treat for the day was that we were going to go in our Halloween costumes and we were going to have a special treat and go to McDonald's for lunch because we never did that. And when my daughter was in McDonald's, it was quite busy. And she ran away. She would look, I could tell from the horrible you know, you're a mom, you you have an intuition about your kids. I could just look at her face. She was scared to death. But you would normally think of a child as being frightened, as wanting to run towards their parent. She didn't run towards me to grab my leg. She ran away from me to get out of the social phobic um, claustrophobia that she was experiencing with the public inside the restaurant. She ran and bolted away from me. And um, so that was really uncharacteristic. Um, so that was very telling. Um, and um, and then, but it could go the other way as well, where, where somebody will want excessive reassurance and they cling to your leg and they won't let go. Um, again, depending on where the object of fear is. Um, and certainly when we get to some older kids, you'll start seeing like a drop in school marks uh, or they can't perform. There's part of that disturbance or they'll withdraw. Instead of being clingy and wanting to hang around you, they might just isolate and bar up in their rooms um, or they just, or just refusal, school refusal, refusal to participate in, in uh, activities that they normally would. They just will say no. If that's the source of anxiety, they're just going to protect themselves. And then what can we do about it? Well, my general advice to parents is if you've got an anxious child, you need to get educated yourself on anxiety so that you can then turn around and teach your child about what they're experiencing so that they have an operating understanding of what anxiety is so that they, because it's an inside job. They're the ones that have to do the work to try to overcome their anxiety. So if we think about it as a um, perception of threat that's inappropriate um, you know, to their way of thinking, to their private logic, they think something is threatening and that they are somehow, um, something bad is going to happen to them. Usually what that bad thing that's going to happen to them from an anxiety point of view is, is that there is that life is, is, um, sort of unpredictable and they're going to be caught off guard and things aren't going to go just as they would like it to be. They, there's, um, there's a low sense of control. And so, um, you know, they, they might, not handle the situation right. They might reveal their inferiorities. They might not have an answer. They might do it wrong. They might, they might be, uh, you know, get lost and not get off the bus at the right stop. They might make a mistake and then they'll look imperfect. And so being able to teach our kids about the fact that life is unpredictable, but that you'll manage that life is going to throw you curveballs and you are not going to be prepared 
that you know you you have to manage in the in the face of ambiguity and that's the nature and the excitement of life and learning and that to be completely secure and to always know how things are going to go and to always know the answers is to to never be able to venture forth and grow so really what we're working on is is to work with that paradigm and to give our kids the courage to be imperfect um, and the courage to be imperfect comes from us being a encouraging parent and to, to be very unconditional. I sort of said that in the earlier comment. Um, but for us, for us to put a focus more on efforts and improvements rather than perfect and complete, uh, to in- unconditionally love our kids, to put an emphasis on that persistence, effort, improvement, the grit, the trying, the learning, the stretching, the growth, and knowing that the whole time, regardless of how things turn out, that, you know, that they, they're they trying and they managed. And isn't that wonderful that that's where we get excited? So that courage to be imperfect is important. And of course, the more our kids have an experience of themselves as being somebody who can manage, it means we need to put them into situations where they can exercise their skills. So the more you can teach them how to be autonomous and, and work independently, you know, how to read a bus schedule and how to Google things online and how to do time management and how to get themselves up in the morning and how to make their own lunch and cook a few dishes, um, use a power tool, just keep adding more skills and mastery onto their list so that they say, you know, I don't know how to do everything in life, but you know what? I know how to learn and I know how to get help and I know how to get out of a s- situation. And then allow them to be presented with different situations so that they can have those experiences. Instead, we tend to, you know, be frightened for our children. And so we don't want to put them on the school bus or we don't want to let them take public transit or we don't want them to ride their bike to the park on their own. And then they never actually have to encounter falling off a bike or meeting a stranger or all those things. So, yes, we have to take time for training, but we also have to give them those experiences. I remember as a young girl, um, I went off to a leadership conference when I was about 13, 14, and my parents had me research the whole thing, organize everything, buy my own plane ticket that they paid, but I had to go, I had to, you know, talk to the travel agent back then. Um, I organized the whole trip all on my own. And, you know, I was only 13, 14 years old. And after the trip, I was going to stay at a friend's house. Well, little did I know that my, I thought my parents had called the friend's house to tell them I was coming. Of all the, I, I was so busy doing the, the trip to the conference that I d- didn't think, I thought my parents had organized the visit after. So when they didn't pick me up at the bus depot, I tried to call them. They had an unlisted number. I couldn't get through. It was getting dark. I ended up having to flag down a police officer, and then the police had to drive me to their house. Um, And so as weird as that all was, uh, and it turned out, good thing they were home because they weren't expecting me, and I was planning to stay for a week. But the the, the bottom line of this story is I figured it out. And that gave me tremendous confidence. When I started traveling to Europe for speaking conventions and things, I was like, I don't know. You know what? There's an embassy. I have a passport. I have a credit card. How wrong can things go? I'll stop. I'll ask someone for advice. And so these experiences in life that say, "I I can manage me. I can handle life. I don't need to plan everything. It'll it'll throw me a curveball anyway, but I'll be ready. I might arrive late. I might have to get a different hotel. I might have to stay longer. I might have to change flights, but I'll figure it out. Um, so those experiences are important for our kids. And then 
The uh, last question here, she asks, also, Allison, how do I manage FOMO in this age of social media? Yeah. So even adults have FOMO, I got to tell you. First thing is, you know, we can explain to our kids just some uh, media literacy. We can teach it. There's great sites like um, mediasmarts.ca or commonsensemedia.org. Kids should have social media literacy classes and media literacy classes happening in their elementary and and high school uh, classes. I would encourage them to take it so they understand what this animal is. Um, The the good folks at the Center for Humane Design uh, have now, I think they're called, um, I will put up in the show notes, Sorry, because they've changed their name and I'm going to mess it up now. I'm not remembering it as quickly as I should. Uh, Tristan Harris. Um, but they were the ones that produced the documentary, The um, the Social Dilemma, which has now been edited into a much more um, user-friendly, kid-friendly format of smaller chunks. And so if you go to the website, they have downloadable guides that are kind of conversation starters. And so they talk about the power of the like button, and they talk about um, the, what happens uh, to us experientially when we get likes, and you know, you post something and someone didn't comment, and all the ways that social media play with our minds, um, so that we understand that really we're they're using artificial intelligence to create algorithms that create these desires in us. And, you know, we're up against a machine. So part of it is to be, you know, accepting and compassionate, but part of it is hopefully to get kids to kind of realize, hey, listen, um, you you don't need to participate in this and you can be, you can do your part in trying to lead a happy life by not falling victim to how they're trying to manipulate you. And kids like to kind of fight authority and be wiser than the manipulator. And hopefully you can kind of win them over that way. Um, But a lot of kids decide, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to put down the social media. I'm going to take a digital detox because I don't like feeling the FOMO um, that the consequences are now starting to outweigh the positives, you know, and then I guess the rest of it is just to be able to say, you know what, everything is now broadcast on social media and it all looks glamorous and it all looks great. But the truth is even before not everybody is invited to every party. Not everybody hangs out with all people all the time. Sometimes you get invited and sometimes you don't. And that's the same with adults. You don't invite every one of your friends to every dinner party. You invite a group of six or seven people. So sometimes they're going to be included and sometimes they're not. And um, and they should be considerate when they're making their plans. Who do they want to invite and who don't they want to invite? And what are they going to post and who's going to see it? And could they be sensitive to that? I certainly have times where I get together with girlfriends and I don't post that we're getting together because I don't want someone to feel left out. Not that we were purposely excluding them, but it could be for different reasons based on what we were going to talk about or um, just that only there was only so many beds and we were having a weekend together and we had to somehow shortlist it and uh, it just avoids the problem. So but we all just have to work towards being, you know, an adult and say, I'm likable and I am lovable and um, this this too shall pass. And, um, you know, try, try pra- practicing some of that emotional regulation in terms of pushing through when your mood is, is bringing you down. Um, thinking about gratitude, being distracted, putting down the phone and moving on to something else. And I think that's the best we can do. So if you have other ideas, please uh, be sure to share them with us. I hope this has been helpful. If you've got a question for me, you can send me an email at uh, allison at allisonshafer.com and we'll catch you next time. 
As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.